So we've been a little, uh, in a series, a preaching series for a few weeks now called The Holy Spirit, um, all about the, um, look, just looking at what the Bible says about the Spirit of God. And so if you do have a Bible with you, um, please do turn to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible or this is your first time in church, do not worry, it's going to come up on the screens to either side of me. And we're going to read that in a bit. Um, one thing you may have noticed about life in Ottawa and life in Canada, whether you are a Christian this morning or not, is that there are lots of competing stories about life and about the world at large that we are being told um, constantly. And, and th- these, these stories compete with one another to tell us what's it all about. What is life about? Who are you? Why are you doing the, the things that, that you want to do? Where, where are we going? What is of ultimate value here? And all sorts of these big stories, these worldviews, just want to tell us how the world ticks. And we're being told them constantly, and they are wrapped up, aren't they? They're wrapped up in social issues. They are wrapped up in political parties, you know, advertising and marketing and the way things are sold to us, just all of these countless millions and millions of ways that we have been formed over our lives to, to chase after the things that we chase after. All these competing definitions of what the successful life looks like and what a failure of a life looks like. They may not be explicitly said, at least most of the time, but they are definitely implicitly communicated. All sorts of competing narratives. And at their foundation, I, I think that the, these questions are really spiritual questions at the end of the day. You know, when, when we're asking ourselves what matters most, what we're asking is who or what is God? Or when we're saying, you know, asking the question, what is the big problem? Whether we realize it or not, whether we would use language like sin or the fall or even know what we would even mean by those words, that, that's exactly what we're pointing towards. And when we ask the question, well, what's the big solution to this massive problem, this dislocation, this fractured state of reality, some of the things we've already prayed for this morning, what's the solution to that? Well, what we're asking is the question, well, where where is salvation to be found? We're going to read in a moment from the book of Acts, which takes place in this this really plural, pluralistic society 2,000 years ago, okay? You've got Romans and you've got Jews. You've got all sorts of Jews. You've got all sorts of Gentiles. You've got Greeks. You've got loads of different gods, heaps of different religions. And my point is that modern-day Ottawa is, I think, not any less pluralistic, I think, Sure, we, we may not call them religions, but there was a, there's this great variety in all of these worldviews, all of these big stories, all these deep motivations. And one thing you may have noticed, because I've certainly noticed it, I'm sure you've noticed it as well, is what happens when these conflicting worldviews, these stories, meet. And what happens when these conflicting stories meet is it's often very messy, and it's very loud, and it's not exactly... Civil. Occasionally I, I hear 
this sort of thing referred to as the, the marketplace of ideas. Have you ever heard that? It's not, is it? Because that, what, the marketplace of ideas kind of conjures this, this, this uh, you know, almost like a, a farmer's market where you kind of wander around and you, you, you see, oh, there's some ideas over there, could have some of those, but there's also some other ideas over here. But that is not how it is, is it? You see it in the, in the scorching op-eds that get written and in the online shaming where someone's 15 minutes of fame turns into 15 minutes of shame. And you, you just, you, we see it in our own conversations, in our own interactions. It's not a marketplace of ideas, really. It's a, it's a battlefield of ideas. The stakes are always, which idea is going to crush the other one? Who's going to win? Are you on our side or are you on the other side? Those are the stakes, Right? These conflicting stories meeting is often like opposing currents meeting together in the ocean. Leads to very choppy waters indeed. Be very understandable, I think, to see all of that messiness, all of that nastiness often, and think, oh, the the prospect of stepping in to those choppy waters, well, either because of the the nastiness or because of the prospect of any kind of disagreement coming our way, we might just think, I don't want to do that at all. And yet what, what Jesus says to his disciples after he has died on the cross and after he has risen again is that we, Christians in the room, are to go make disciples of all nations. Effectively, Jesus looks at us and says, okay, I want you to step into those choppy waters of competing narratives with our own narrative, or rather God's own story, a heavenly story about Jesus and about God's love and about forgiveness and reconciliation and new life offered for free to anyone who would want to accept that. That's what Jesus says to his disciples, and when his disciples heard it, I bet that was just as alarming a prospect to them as it is to us today. If you were to look at those first Christians, you wouldn't see a bunch of charismatic revolutionaries raring to go and change the world. You, you just wouldn't. There was no Che Guevara-type character, radical, wanting to burn the world down and remake it in his image. Instead, if you were there and looking around at those early disciples, I mean, you wouldn't have seen that. Or you'd seem, you know, you'd get the most leader-like people in the early church up, and you get, oh, you got Peter, right? Peter, who about a month earlier to the story we're about to read from the Bible, has has denied knowing Jesus most notoriously, most infamous, infamously to a, a servant girl who was just asking some quite innocent questions. Hey, do you know Jesus? No, I swear, I never knew him. It was a month ago. Peter, the leader. You, who else? You've got, you got Thomas. Like, even today, you may, if you're not a Christian, you don't, you don't know much about the Bible, you may, you may have heard of Thomas. And you think, the, the only thing I know about Thomas, for many of us, this will be the case, is that he was full of unbelief. And he would not believe that Jesus has risen from the dead unless he saw him, unless he touched the wounds. You know, Thomas is well known today mostly for what he lacked rather than for what he brought to the table. And we could go on, of course. And so the question is, how on earth 
Do we go from that room 2,000 years ago, a couple of hundred scared new Christians, all of whom very deeply unimpressive, how do we go from that to this where Christianity, you can find Christian churches in all sorts of exotic locations. It doesn't matter the culture. It doesn't matter the people group. How do we go from that 2,000 years ago to where things are today? I think that is a very good question. See, Jesus knows full well when he says to the disciples, go and tell all the nations of the world about me, that they are not ready at all to fulfill this calling that he places upon them. You know, this is what he says in Acts chapter 1. He says, you know, this is what it says, and, and while staying with them, he, that's Jesus, this is the resurrected Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Go into all the world and tell them about me, Jesus says, but not yet. You might think, hang on, the the disciples, they've been with Jesus for three years. They've seen every miracle. They've heard all the preaching of Jesus. And they've been able to afterwards go and sit with him and ask him all the questions they have. They they saw Jesus crucified, they saw him die, they saw his body taken down from the cross and buried in a tomb, and then, three days later, they they see him afterwards raised from the dead multiple times, and again, talk with him at length. And here, at this this moment that we've just been reading, they're standing together with the resurrected Jesus on the Mount of Olivet, you might think, what other facts are necessary? What other training is still necessary? To be done. What training course are they, are they still to be signed up for? What are they lacking? And yet, Jesus says, stay where you are. Stay in Jerusalem because you're not yet ready. So let's read the beginning of Acts chapter 2, starting from verse 1. Let's just see what happens next. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. See, here we see the Holy Spirit of God poured out on his followers. Jesus calls the Spirit the the promise of the Father. And for for these disciples, they're, they're not left with any question of, did we receive the promise of the Father? Have, have we got that yet? The believers aren't wondering, hmm, have, have we have we been baptized in the Holy Spirit? No. When when the Holy Spirit comes in this instance, there's this there's first a loud sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. Then a presence is resting upon them as if fire, or as of fire. And finally, there's this quite clear supernatural gifting, right? They are speaking in other languages that they've never learned or speak, spoken in before. I mean, it, it, it's a bit of a an understatement, but for these disciples, this is a, an experiential moment with God that they are having. 
to say the least. Why is all this happening? What is the point of this, you might ask? Well, what we see immediately afterwards is that this baptism in the Spirit, as we all call it, because that's what Jesus calls it, really sort of overflows. Right? This, this thing is so massive that happens to the disciples, it can't just stay in this house where these first disciples are. It ends up overflowing into the rest of Jerusalem. All the people in Jerusalem, the, the Jews and the Romans and the Greeks, etc., they all hear these, the, the, the native speakers hear these languages that the disciples are speaking there's, a, there's quite a mixture of response there. But then Peter jumps up. This is the next bit in the story. And he starts preaching. And I'm not going to read the whole sermon that preacher, uh, Peter uh, gives. So if you want to read later, just read the rest of Acts chapter 2. But here's just some. Here's a little taste. It's a little taste for you of what Peter says. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Whoa, that, this is a bold sermon, isn't it? Right, Peter's essentially going, hey, um, Jerusalem, hello. Um, you remember Jesus? Yeah, Jesus, the, the man who was very clearly sent by God, the one that God, God sent, did all those miracles, the one that you killed. Remember when you crucified the Son of God? Yeah, just like the lawless men that you are. I mean, this is, this is a strong sermon from Peter. And here we see the very first thing, that baptism in the Spirit, this Pentecost experience in the the presence of God. The first thing that the baptism of the Spirit does in the life of the Christian is that there is boldness. There's boldness. I mean, this is Peter, right? Wasn't Peter the one who botched the... You know, confrontation is too strong a word for what happened. Botched that confrontation with the with the, the servant goes. Hey, do you know Jesus? No, I don't. I've never known him. I swear. I is this the same Peter? Yes, it is. Absolutely. But a Peter who is filled with the Spirit, a Peter who finds within himself far more courage than there was there even days before. And it turns out, and we'll see this in a moment, Peter is actually here preaching to 3,000 people, at least. There's just no holding back for Peter. There's no, I don't see any hesitancy here. He just goes for it. This is what the Spirit does, bringing boldness into the life of the believer. I've known something of this in my own life. So I have memories and to be honest, these are not good memories. I enjoy visiting them really in my mind. As a, as a young Christian, I was definitely a believer. I, I, I knew Jesus. I, you know, asked me what I believed, and I, I would be able to tell you. I was definitely a Christian, and, and yet I have all these memories of being unable, as a young, younger teenager, to even open my mouth and speak. Whenever anyone would sort of ask me any questions about what I would hey, aren't you, aren't you a Christian? Don't you go to church? So I, would, I, I wouldn't be able to speak. My, my face would just go bright red, and I would effectively run away if, if, I had the, if I had the chance. And I often would make 
it so that I had a chance. I, I was exactly like Peter. You know, I read Peter's story and I just go, that's, I just, I'm, yeah, Peter, I'm with you on that one. And, and I would feel quite awkward, awful, really, and horrid and shame, ashamed afterwards. But over the, the course of a few years, I just, I had a few moments with God. And it was often in a, a church service like this one. Or maybe in a, in a prayer meeting like the ones we have on the first Sunday of the month here at the Shore Center. Where there's these moments with God where I would feel God's presence and his love for me so clearly, so very, very deeply, tangibly even. There were certain experiences even that I would go as far to describe as overwhelming, but in a good way, as strange as that might sound. And as good and wonderful and powerful and impactful and oftentimes sometimes just completely unexpected as those moments, those experiences were, I would sometimes leave those prayer meetings or those, those church services kind of having like oh that was that was really wonderful and i i enjoy just being with god and having god tell me how much he loved me but i would often sometimes go away kind of with the question what's the point of that like what 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 was that for now to be clear i don't think there needs to be a point okay god loves his children and sometimes he just wants to tell you that he loves you and for god that is enough that there, there doesn't necessarily have to be a point but what I actually found is over the years, over the next few years, as those occasional moments came and, and went, I, I found that I started to change internally. So one moment I, I remember particularly vividly was this beautiful summer's day, a bit like today really, where I was sitting in this park nearby where I grew up on this big old log and I was just l- looking around this park and there's there's picnics going on, there's children eating ice creams and playing. It's just as lovely, as, as summary and summary an image as you could possibly um, imagine. Everyone's so happy, sunshine, ice cream, wonderful. And I remember looking around and just going, everyone is so happy with all of these things that are, that are nice things. But I just found myself thinking, I don't know how many of the people know the God who, who really matters. I just remember sitting there and being bothered by that in, in a good way, kind of burdened by that. And that is not, even at the time, that, that was not a natural response for me to have. I remember even thinking, like, this is not normal. This is not, I should just be like, ice cream, fantastic. But to feel that, I was like, God is doing something here to, to make me care in a way that normally I wouldn't. And that, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit that was going on in those moments started to change me. And I found myself actually starting to talk to my friends about Jesus. To talk to people about Jesus. Not from, a, oh, I have to do this because if I don't, I won't, I won't have enough holy points and I won't be in with God. No, but actually just from a genuine desire, like a felt need. I, I, want, to, I, want, to, I want people to experience the same love of God for themselves that I've experienced. And some might say, well, Matt, what you're describing here, that this newfound boldness, this isn't anything to do with the Holy Spirit. This is just nothing to do with a baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is actually, you know, once you were an awkward teenager and then you grew up a bit. That's what's going on. It's just natural kind of maturation, as it, as it were. But you really don't understand. Like, I, I went from not being able to open my mouth or get words out and go in 
completely bright red and running away. I went from that to within just a, a few years wanting to tell people about Jesus, whether or not I'd met them at all, whether or not I knew who they were at all. I would go up to people on the streets and just start talking to them and offer to pray for them, just complete strangers. That's strange. That's weird. That's not, that's not, in, that's not who I am. I'm not like, yeah, I just want to go out and talk. No, no, I'm not. That's not me, right? I, I went to university. I did computer science. Okay, the thing you need to know about people who go to university and do computer science is it's because they want to sit in a slightly dim room and talk to a computer all day and not actual people. And if you're like, that is not, I went to, I did computer science, I like people. Well, wait, maybe it's just me, okay? This is just, that's just what, that's my, that's my wiring. But instead, I would go up to people on the street and talk to them and ask to pray for them and and not just give up the first time there was a bad re- response or reaction, of which there were many, but just keep on going. Peter went from a total coward to a courageous preacher very quickly indeed. And Christians in the room, I, I, I don't want anyone in this room to write themselves off from the same experience or the same outcome that you can have for yourself. I know that when I talk about boldness or courage, some of us, I know I can do this at times, can think of that in a very narrow sort of sense, like we think of kind of a Mel Gibson in Braveheart or a Russell Crowe in Gladiator, kind of this, this very aggressive, shouty, loud sort of boldness and courage. And we might just think, oh, actually, that's not... That's not me at all. That's just not who I am. I mean, maybe, maybe that's exactly the sort of spirit-filled boldness you will end up with, but I know it's just not who I am. And, and, and one, of, one of the misunderstandings that I've come across as we've been going through this series on the, on, on the Holy Spirit is that we might be inclined to think that what the Holy Spirit does, the more he fills uh, a Christian follower of Jesus, is that you kind of, who you are gets overwritten, like you, you, you just whoever you no, that's not what happens. You know, Peter in Acts chapter two, he's still Peter. John is still John, and a spirit empowered you is still going to be you. But you won't be doing life. The difference is you're not doing life in your own resources, in your own strength, but actually the the strength that comes from God. You're doing the Christian life alone, but actually you're doing the Christian life in the presence of God. My experience of this extra boldness wasn't the loud, shouty kind. It just, it just wasn't. It's more than just, it's, for me, it's more of just a feeling of, of freedom to have a go. To have a go, to take steps of faith. A, a boldness to not quite so much care about what other people think of me. Uh, you know, just a, a, a boldness to lay down our, own, our desire for control or neatness, or just for me to not take myself so seriously all the time. Wherever the Lord's Spirit is, there is freedom. I was just started reading the, the book of Isaiah earlier this, in, in the week, and there's this little bit at the end of chapter 2 of Isaiah where God says, Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? In other words, why are you so afraid of what creaturely, temporary humans think? Why do their thoughts matter? 
Now, I, I, know, I know this, like fear of people and what they think of you or of me can be crippling. I know this at times. Like still, the old temptation pops into my mind every now and then from time to time. But life filled with the Spirit is a life that lets me, lets you actually live this Isaiah chapter 2 verse and actually stop regarding man and actually just care what God thinks more. That's, the, that's what the Holy Spirit-empowered life enables. See, I'm, I'm so very glad that Jesus doesn't just say to his followers, go and tell the whole world about me, but he also says, I will send to you the helper. And he will help. The Holy Spirit will help. So the Spirit changes not just our desires, but also brings alongside it this extraordinary boldness and courage that might leave us going, well, I... I'm kind of, I wasn't expecting to find this within. It's as if it's been put there by God. But that's not all. That would be a lot. That would be, that would be so very kind if God were just to stop there. But God isn't yet done with the disciples. He has more to offer. He has more to give. He has more to bless. Right after Peter finishes his preaching, this is the response. Now, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. They were cut to the heart. There were added that day 3,000 souls. Okay, this is not just an ordinary bit of public speaking. This is not like any lecture that you or I have ever been to. Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes to them, not just to, not, not just to change the desires of their heart, not just to bring extra boldness and courage, but that they would have power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That was Jesus' promise. And here they are, speaking and preaching in all sorts of different languages and tongues. And then Peter gets up. He preaches up a storm, and 3,000 people are, and I love the word here, added. It's not like people going, oh, this is, this is powerful stuff. But people becoming a Christian and becoming part of this new Christian church. This Christian church in one day goes from a couple of hundred people to more than 3,000, right? If that were to happen this morning, the, the line to the connect point would just go out of the building. I mean, this is, this is powerful stuff. This is not an ordinary bit of public speaking. That, that, that many people can find themselves, their lives, fundamentally turned upside down in the space between breakfast and lunch. Right? Peter even says, this is, when he starts preaching, he says, this is happening at nine o'clock in the morning. This can happen between breakfast and lunch with time to spare. See, one thing we've, we've seen over the course of the last few weeks is that the Spirit absolutely has to be required to make anyone a true child of God. The, 
you know, the, the Spirit makes you alive. You must be born of the Spirit. That's what Jesus says. No one says Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit, and so on. Isn't it good that we've not just been given a mission by Jesus, not just also given the courage and the boldness, but also the power, the power to actually get anywhere, to actually complete the mission even a little bit? I think so. I think that takes the weight off our shoulders, doesn't it? My question for us as a church this morning is this. Can we be a church that is actively dependent on the Holy Spirit to do the things that we cannot do on our own strength? We're going to be talking in the next few weeks more about this baptism in the Holy Spirit and the things that the Holy Spirit does in the lives of Christians, in the, in the lives of life of the church that are bold and big and obvious, um, there'll, be, there'll be many, though, I hope this morning, who are here thinking, you know what, I just need more of this. That the, the command in the Bible to go on being filled in this, with the Spirit, that might be just something that you, that you really want, that you'll find, and I am, I'm actually hungry for this. I'm thirsty for this. I'm, I'm, I'm realizing in myself when I want to talk to people about Jesus or I want to do the Christian life and turn away from sin, whatever it is, I just need more power. You know, I, I, maybe, maybe you've had enough of reading about strategies or ways to talk to people about Jesus. Maybe just, I, I can't make anyone a Christian. I can only do, like, what, what was it that, that, that Peter said? Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. That's who the, the promise is for. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be exciting, church, to do the Christian life looking with the eyes of God, going, God, who are you calling? Who is it that you are drawing to yourself? Who are you already working in? That's what Jesus did, wasn't it? I mean, Jesus, the Son of God, looked to see what the Father was doing and then went and did it. So the gospel say. Church, can we, can we do this? Can we have this hunger for just more of God and more of his presence? Listen, this is available to you this morning. The, the, the promise of the Father is still true. God is still faithful, isn't he? Amen? And you know, when we gather together as his church, he is here. He's here when he, he, he's with you whenever you're not. Whenever you're just alone in your room, of course he's there. But you know what? When the assembly, when the congregation comes together, the Spirit is here. And that's the expectation. That's what we get to do now as we stand and sing and as we take communion together. Because we think, well, where does this freedom to be in the Holy God's presence come from? It comes from what Jesus has done. It's the fact that he has died on the cross and the fact that he has risen again so that you would have new life. And this is what we do. This is what we remember when we take communion. Would you stand with me? We take the bread and the wine. If you are a believer, a Christian in the room, this is, um, this is part of it. This is what, part of what the Christian life looks like. We go to the table, we take the bread, remembering Jesus' body broken for us, and we take the wine or the juice representing Jesus' blood shed for us. And what I want us to do as we come to the table and remember what Jesus has done, will we specifically think about, you know that thing that happens when Jesus dies, the moment of Jesus' death, where the curtain is torn, 
from top to bottom, as if from heaven to earth. It's like there's now no barrier for those who are in Jesus to come into the presence of God. So let, let's, let's sing and worship and take communion and be praying, God, would you, even as we sing and worship, would you be filling? Do you want that this morning? Let's, let's pray together and ask for that right now. God, you are the God of freedom, and we thank you, Heavenly Father, that where your spirit is, there is freedom, and we just want to know all the freedom that is available to us. Lord, we want to, um, the, the freedom from fear in people or fear in this or that. We, we want to be children who are just trusting in our Father. And Lord, we want more of your presence. We want to know your, your closeness. We want to hear your voice. We want to go on through our week in, in the power that is, doesn't come from within, but from the power of the Spirit. And Lord, that is only something that you can do. And thank you that you want this more than any of us. Lord, you love your church being filled with the Spirit. You love your church being empowered to do the things that you've called us to do. And so, Lord, I ask right now as we take communion, as we remember Jesus' death and resurrection, and as we enjoy your presence, Lord, that you would fill us and equip us and give us everything that we need. Lord, it's all for your glory. We love you. Amen.